You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me this week are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we cover the five biggest stories on our websites and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live every Friday at about 1.30 or so, so subscribe to us on YouTube at IEN Magazine to get a notification. Anna, how are you doing this week? Doing fine, thanks. Yeah? Jeff? Outstanding. Outstanding. Everyone's doing well. And producer Alex, who had surgery less than 12 hours ago, is in the studio. And that is just incredible. And I wouldn't, he's been here, it was less than 12 hours. I'd be two weeks out. Less than 12. Well, I mean, like, yeah. Because he went into surgery at like 9 a.m. yesterday. That is not Less math. than 24. 24 hours. There you go. I knew we'd get there. I mean. My bad. It hasn't been that long. Either way, not recommended, Alex. No, he's sitting. He's sitting. <laughs> All right. It's also kind of weird that I can see your toes right now. Anyway. Is it weird that you're looking at his toes? I'm just looking in that area and all I see are toes. On a scale of one to 10, how do you rate Alex's toes? I mean, the three I see look pretty good right now. All right. Well, before we get started... We have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back. And just a reminder that if you want to get a free sample of Oil Eater, please click the link below in the description. All right, our first story this week. Target is canceling orders from suppliers. American spending has shifted, and now Target is canceling orders, mostly from ho- for home goods and clothing. The company is also slashing prices to clear out inventory. But with inflation, I guess maybe that just means they'll go back to normal. Consumers quickly switched from spending money on their homes to experiences like traveling or go a night out or anywhere but the house. Shoppers also have less in discretionary budgets as inflation has drastically impacted grocery bills. Americans loaded up on big TVs and small kitchen appliances during the pandemic, but sales have faded and Target has warehouses with products marked down to sell. Other retailers have had similar issues. Walmart recently told shareholders that 20% of its elevated inventory were items the company wishes it never had. Like everyone, Target is facing higher costs for everything from labor to transportation and shipping. Target is working with suppliers to cover costs for the vendors whose orders are being canceled. And in some cases, some of the raw materials that were meant for some goods will instead be used for other products in higher demand. And I thought of anything in this story 
at least that was a bit of a silver lining. Yeah, there's not been many silver linings um, from the supply <laughs> chain crisis, uh, especially as it pertains to consumers. But this might be, you know, one of the first ones that you could get a really good deal on a TV. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's TV what you, and a toaster. Yeah, that's what you get in return for all the other nonsense. Um Unfortunately, this is fine a finite benefit for consumers, right? Like it's going to come back on the other side. The cancellations will impact the market in a few ways. Um, one was actually immediate. Target's stock went um, like plummeted after they sort of indicated that consumers were tightening their purse strings and they stopped buying big ticket items. Um, and I think that contributes to that overall sentiment that you're seeing in the market of bearishness or that the economy is in trouble or at least in the short term. So um, secondly, Target had said that some of um, the bloated inventory were in categories that it, quote, misforecast. And I found that term interesting because Target, mm-hmm. if anyone, has probably a lot of data science that goes into that forecasting process. Um, and if they're getting it wrong then, you know, you can see why every other business is getting it wrong. Um, So will this amount to further liquidations and write downs for businesses outside of retail? Well, you know, we've already seen a bit of that in industrial. Um, We saw a lot of distributors and manufacturers who were holding a glut of PPE, like, after the immediate pandemic and and they started seeing um, cuts into their profits really like last year already. Right. Um, Now it's happening in retail with other products. But I think the point I'm trying to make here is that like in America, at least, I think we want to think that the pandemic is over. It's over, yeah. And that it's not impacting us anymore. But it is still impacting the supply chain, especially from a global standpoint. I mean, if you look at the shutdowns in China that just um, were just lifted, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're saying it's going to take months for that supply chain to get back in order. And that's just one of the variables involved in this that's causing inflationary pressures, obviously, and, and shortages, right? I mean, the employment situation, the war in Ukraine, like all of that stuff's factoring in. And it's going to continue to change demand um, for all kinds of unrelated product categories. No, well, uh, it's my understanding based on the comments sections and social media that the pandemic is over as well as all of its problems and everything else is just a result of Joe Biden. Pretty sure that's it. Pretty sure that's it. I agree. (laughs) So, Jeff, false. And uh, no, we talk a lot about planning software, inventory management, and all these things to help businesses stay ahead of it. But when I see (laughs) stories like this, it's you just understand that life is unpredictable, business is unpredictable, and sometimes you can still have all the best tools in place and still miss. Well, that, that seems like that should be like your wrap up for yeah. the podcast right there. You just want to shut her down now? Walk out? That's pretty good. I want to shut you down now. Um, no. I thought one of the... <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, I guess you really like Joe Biden. No, Man. no, no. Papa Joe's not mine. Um, one of the more interesting stats that jumped out at me in the article was Target reported last month its profit for the fiscal first quarter tumbled 52% Yikes. compared with the same period last year. That is incredible. There's no way you could forecast that. And obviously, it's reflected in their buying preferences here and, and things that they've been doing there. What I what also kind of jumped out at me was the two categories that we're talking about here. They'd also talked about Target potentially relying more heavily on a lot of um, pro, um, groceries mm-hmm. in terms of uh, yeah. picking up the slack. So when you look at these two categories, consumer electronics and appliances, typically you have pretty good margins on those products. Food, 
Not so much. It's more of a volume buy. You're talking about pennies on the dollar there. So as we shift from worse profit margin on these electronic devices and groceries still being in demand is something people are never going to stop buying. Are the, is that going to shift a little bit? Yeah. Are we going to see prices for food, which is already up for a number of reasons? Is it also going to be impacted by the fact that places like Target now need to compensate for the fact that other areas are they're losing money or just breaking even on? They need to make more off of food. I mean, mm-hmm. are we going to be seeing a real shift in pricing models potentially? Mm-hmm. I think it could be really interesting. <clears throat> and there's always the... And, and, you know, there's a lot of give and take with it, but there's sort of that trickle down effect too. when you look at something as big as like the electronics and devices or excuse me, appliances in terms of how is that going to affect everybody who's involved in the packaging distribution? We don't make as much of that stuff here. That's mainly made over in China. But what kind of impact is that going to have on such a big market like consumer electronics, too, and on other people? So it's um, it's a couple of really interesting dynamics for some converging market categories here. Well, and Anna, to your point, isn't that kind of what you had mentioned when you said, you know, we're going to see it on the other side? Mm-hmm. Um, many of the orders for products are being canceled. Also, already have a long production lead time. So, you know, many of them weren't made. Uh, Target also announced that it's going to add five distribution centers over the next two fiscal years, uh, which apparently is also going to take a bit of a cut as well in terms of its profit margin. Um, all right. Our next most popular story this week. Three U.S. companies sanctioned for sending blueprints to China. On Wednesday, three U.S. companies were accused of sending blueprints and technical drawings for satellites, rocket technology, and other defense prototypes to China. As a result, the Commerce Department blocked the companies from exporting items to foreign countries for 180 days in a temporary denial order. A temporary denial order is regarded as one of the most severe civil sanctions available. Quicksilver Manufacturing, RapidCut, and U.S. Prototype provide 3D printing services, among others. The Commerce Department says says customers would send blueprints and drawings to the companies to be 3D printed, but then the companies would send that work to China. That transaction requires U.S. government approval, which wasn't requested. Matthew Axelrod, an assistant secretary of Commerce for Export Enforcement, said, quote, Outsourcing 3D printing of space and defense prototypes to China harms U.S. national national security. These companies may have saved a few bucks, but they did so at the collective expense of protecting U.S. military technology. Anna, sounds like they got a firm scolding and a slap on the hand. Don't ever do it again. (laughs) You have a half a year to think about it. You know, we talk about these types of scenarios regularly, and this one surprised me because the language of this report makes it sound like the problem was, I don't know, maybe one of due diligence. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard to tell if it was like willful. Right. But I mean, these companies, which appear to be kind of part of the same umbrella. um, Oh, they're definitely all the same Yeah, they like share a mailbox, I think. Yeah, Yeah, a P.O. box. Um, So they outsource this critical uh, service to China, which has some serious implications. But if this practice is so damaging to national security, why is one of the most severe punishments a 180-day export ban? Like, Mm -hmm. if they can't operate without these global partners and the idea is to cripple them as punishment, 
then why not just shut them down? I mean, this is defense technology. And Mm -hmm. you almost wonder, like, why isn't there a zero strike policy on this type of infraction? It seems like we've seen many like way harsher penalties on individuals who have shared files Mm -hmm. or sensitive information with foreign companies in these types of cases. I I guess I don't understand. There must be something I'm missing here as to why the the penalty is so light. I think the part of it was in the wording, right? It said that this is the strictest or one of the most severe things that the Commerce Department department can do, which was kind of, I interpreted that as our hands are tied otherwise. This is the worst we can do, but you know we can't really do anything else to these companies. Uh, Jeff, is that how you read it? Well, I think there's a couple of different factors. First of all, it's the wrong entity going after these folks. It's the Department of Commerce as opposed to the Department of Justice or the mm-hmm. Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. That's who's really impacted and should be more heavily involved. But really, I think there's a bigger issue here. If you look at those companies' websites, um, it is very apparent they're service bureaus. Mm -hmm. They are a facilitator, not bashing that in any way, shape, or form. But how much responsibility is it of them to look at what they're doing for their customer and realizing if it's sensitive national security information? I think the onus of responsibility is misplaced here. It goes back to these companies' customers. Agreed. Okay. They're the ones that got the contract from the Department of Defense or whomever. And if they want to use a subcontractor like any of these folks, that's also fine. But you can't transfer, you know, you know inherently, even though the, the, the claim said these customers did not know their information was going to be sent to China. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who looks well, at these websites and has worked with these service bureaus knows they're going to find a low cost manufacturer. And in many instances, that means going offshore. That is understood. So for them to basically blindly put their faith in these companies and these service bureaus to get the parts made that they needed and not do the due diligence to understand it could go overseas and that's going to create a bigger problem, that's on them. Mm-hmm. I don't think the responsibility should be on uh, these other folks that that ended up getting the fine, You know, whether it's Rapid Cut, um, what was the other Quick, one? Uh, Quicksilver, Quicksilver. Yeah, or U.S. Prototype. Um, again, we know who those folks are. Mm-hmm. The customers themselves who are given these contracts by the DOD and then basically just blindly turned over these blueprints because they wanted a low-cost manufacturer, they're the ones who are at fault here. And I think that's the bigger issue. You oh, don't well, think oh. that they have any responsibility? I think they're taking the order and they're probably not looking. Maybe they need to look at it more thoroughly and mm-hmm. see what it is. But at the end of the day, they're saying, okay, look, you need these parts. These parts could be used potentially on anything. They don't necessarily understand the application being rockets satellites, Department of Defense. If it's a satellite, it could be for a, you know, Amazon. It could be for a streaming service. It could be for anybody. Well, it's also a, oh, I guess it is a full blueprint. But I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it, they just said it was satellite and rocket technology. So it could have just been components. It could have been hardware. Yeah, mm-hmm. components. Um, but I think it, uh, they have some responsibility on both ends because, again, we talk about communication a lot. But uh, I mean, really, I wonder if the DOD went after their customers as a result of these plans being leaked to China. And then it kind of trickled down that way. um, And they kind of passed the buck, so to speak. But I agree with you, Jeff. Like, if I mean, how many times do we talk to people that have DOD contracts and they are so tight-lipped, they won't even talk to us about it? Well, that's the thing. There's a process for getting approved to be a Department of Defense contractor. Now, Quicksilver and Rapid Cut and these other folks, that's not on them. They're yeah. just they're just a service provider. They're just getting out. They're part of the outsourcing situation. They didn't get the contract. These other companies did. But we don't know if those other companies did dictate how it needed to be done. And this company just went outside of that. That information is not available. Well, like uh, that um, maybe their customers specifically said like, hey, you know, 
Uh, These are the rules. Yeah, this they can't that. be manufactured up. You know, sure. And because that, that is the one thing to your point where you say, like, you inherently think that these are going to be shopped overseas for cheaper manufacturing. And not with all service bureaus. I don't think that's the case. And I do think that, uh, you know, I mean, it's not something that's just generally understood. You can make you can specify that, obviously, when you're working with these bureaus and say, hey, don't send it anywhere. But when you read the complaint, all it said is these companies didn't know that Quicksilver and these other places we're going to send them to China. Mm-hmm. That was the only part of it. Right. They didn't say, we said, don't do it. We said, this is sensitive. Nothing like that. So I do think there's still an onus on those original customers to be more diligent yeah. in, in outsourcing this stuff. Well, and so the 11-page Commerce Department order uh, also does not allege that the blueprints wound up being exploited by the Chinese military, but it does say that it was the actions that presented, quote, serious national national security concerns. Yeah. Uh, and U.S. officials have warned in the past about blurred lines between military and private industry. Uh, there's also something to be said about how uh, when you do things like this, it is going to impact your business permanently in terms of customer reviews. So... This just came out yesterday and when we're recording this podcast, it was Thursday and there are already people that are just leaving reviews for these companies online that'll probably stick to that, those companies Mm -hmm. indefinitely. One person in particular, he goes by George Payer and he just wrote anti-American scumbag company outsourced 3d printing of blueprints for satellite rocket and defense prototypes from us companies to wait for it. China. One star. One star. Yeah. And it's that is the only review for, I believe, Quicksilver. And that is going to be there as long as they're that company and they're on Google. And so you just really have to think about, you know, if it is on these companies uh, trying to make a buck, because like a lot of the quotes made it seem like uh, they were doing this to try and, you know, uh, you know, make a little bit of money to Mm -hmm. do things on the cheap. You got to think about the long term ramifications to your business. Yeah. Well, and I just think like if if, you know, there's an expectation in the supply chain that people are going to comply with like the regulatory aspect of whatever the product is. So I don't think that that the original company, the designer should be exonerated by any means. But I don't think that this last line of defense person who sent this overseas should just be all like like we do nothing. You know, I just You, you don't think they should be the mope. Um, There's more than one mope. I in think, this yeah, multiple mopes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, our next most popular story this week: Deer moves production to Mexico amid tight labor market. Labor market struggles have proven to be too much for Deer and Company, so the company is moving some production to Mexico. The egg, the agriculture equipment manufacturer, is relocating cab production from Waterloo, Iowa, to a components plant in Ramos Arispe, Mexico. The relocation could affect some 250 employees, and the move could be completed by 2024. However, according to the Des Moines Register, the total number of employees might be less, depending on production volume and employee attrition over the next two years. The company said the move will, quote, balance workforce needs within the tight labor market and open up space to manufacture new products. But the company didn't say what those new products might be. Late last year, some 10,000 UAW workers at Deer & Company plants went on a five-week strike, most of them in Iowa. Now, Jeff, Deer says the strike wasn't a factor in its decision to move. But maybe it is. Yeah, I'm going to call BS on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't buy that for, for a bit. Um, it, it is, it's got to be in response. And I think the UAW probably saw this coming. 
Yeah. Um, when you look at the, and really it, it's hard if you're one of these individuals affected, but if you're looking at getting raises for 10,000 people and then potentially losing 250 jobs over the next couple of years, you're probably going to take that mm-hmm. if you do know what's coming. And it's, it, if you're John Deere, you also have to, you can see where they're coming from a little bit. The starting wages down in Mexico are about three and a half bucks an hour for entry level manufacturing jobs. Maybe this is a little bit more than that because it is John Deere. Still, that's comparable to somewhere between 13 and 16 or $17 an hour in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's, there's, Un, there's undoubtedly a cost savings involved there. And if they do have extra space in this Mexico facility, they can save money doing it. They just, again, took care of 10,000 workers. I think this is definitely in response to that. Uh, Anna, your thoughts on uh, John Deere moving the jobs over to Mexico? Yeah, um, I I agree with Jeff that this is, uh, I don't know if I would say retaliation, but I do agree with some of your points that, uh, they're taking advantage of the there's a, a cost impetus yeah. here. And I think they're kind of maybe blaming it on something else. Like I accuse deer of nothing here, but like the situation is interesting, I think, in the sense that we've seen so many companies publicly bemoan this labor crisis. But deer might be the first one to actually contend that it's like the core issue that's driving it to move offshore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whether or not that's true, and it may very well be, um, I do think we might see more of this uh, okay. like where. A business has maybe been wanting to offshore, but they haven't because they don't want to deal with the associated backlash. Mm-hmm, yeah. But now might be an actually perfect time to just say, like, I can't get enough workers here, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's different. Like when a company is like leaving a town destitute and just adding to their corporate profits by like moving to Mexico, um, people are mad. But like, are they less mad right now when somebody says, hey, we just can't get Americans to work here? I don't know. Maybe maybe this is the time that you can kind of sneak sneak that play in. Um, it's just like such a strange shift right now with this job market. I mean, I read recently that like um, the average over history is uh, for every available job, there are two job seekers. And for the first time in history now, there's less than one worker for every available job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that mean for the manufacturing industry? And, you know, as they go out and try to... I don't know, curry favor with these regions because they're going to create jobs. Will we see less of this like massive scramble for jobs just for the sake of jobs? Or, you know, will the tax break system change a little bit? Will politicians who peg themselves as job creators like move on to something else? Mm -hmm. I don't know, because like right now, it's just not something that everybody needs, I guess. It's just not as compelling of a case to make. So um, I don't know. Well, it's interesting, too, because there's this push right now in terms of a lot of reshoring and foreign direct investment creating more manufacturing jobs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. The reshoring initiative just came out with a report. I was going to talk about this a little bit later as well. But like 260,000 jobs as a result of either reshoring or FDI last year. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is a result from the pandemic. People wanting to shore up their supply chains, get more stuff closer to their consumers here in the U.S. So you can also sort of hide this in some of those announcements the the PR fallout is not what it nearly was in the past. Well, so John Deere still hires like, or still employs 6,600 people in Iowa. So I think it's the largest, if not one of the largest employers in the state. Um, and I guess I don't think it's as close to retaliation as you guys, like Jeff is your cost cutting sort of, uh, I don't think it's that because last year John Deere came out and said, Hey, we're looking to hire dozens of workers in Iowa. If we could find them. 
I think retaliation maybe is too strong of a word, but a response to it. Yeah. I think in terms of finding the dollars, because look, you can talk about record profits and all that stuff all you want. Corporate boards are going to do what they're going to do to make shareholders happy. Okay, mm-hmm. that's just going to happen. Yeah. But if they were looking at a way to sort of ease some of those cost increases in terms of paying people better, yeah. this is a way they can do that. Well, they also said that the percentage of people, uh, or it's also a fact that the percentage of people in the state willing to work hasn't recovered at the same rate as the nation's since the pandemic hit. Hmm. Iowa had roughly 61,000 fewer people either working or looking for work, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So the pool's just not out there. Um, Iowa employers have, you know, looked to immigrants to help boost a workforce, but that's also been difficult because of COVID and tighter U.S. immigration policies. Uh, Peter Orizem, who is an Iowa State University labor economist, said that Iowa needs to work harder to attract workers to the state or face the possibility that more companies might be looking to move operations. Uh, In response to that, Debbie Durham told the uh, Des Moines Register that the uh, Debbie Durham, who is the Iowa Economic Development Authority's director, disagrees and says that the tight labor market isn't unique to Iowa, but that the state is actually in a better position than others because its economy is growing. So, I mean, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Debbie Durham says generic statement. Uh, But I thought it was interesting that there are more than 60,000 fewer people in the Iowa workforce. And I mean, that has to strain things incredibly. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's dealing with it. We've talked about that in a number of instances before. Yeah. All right. Well, our next most popular story, Jeep tips over for second time in crash test. A Jeep Wrangler had a hiccup during a crash test by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. During a, quote, small overlap crash test, a 2022 model tipped onto its side. The test crashes. The test crashes the car into a test barrier at 40 miles per hour, but only the outermost part of the bumper makes contact with the barrier. The crash is rare, but it could be extremely dangerous. The Wrangler earned a, quote, marginal rating, the second lowest. After a similar issue in 2019, Jeep engineers modified a suspension component. Automakers often conduct crash tests themselves, but the IIHS performs its own tests to check the automaker's results. Anna, according to an IIHS spokesperson, this is the only vehicle model to ever tip over during the trial. Still, you know, Jeeps are a little bit known for this. Yeah, so Jeep does have a bit of a checkered history, I think, when it comes to tipping and flipping. So SUVs, as you probably know, are more likely to tip or flip than cars, right? They Mm -hmm. just have a higher center of gravity. It just, you know, makes sense. But um, the article mentioned some issues with the 2019 crash tests where the, that Jeep tipped over and engineers attempted to fix like something that may not have worked, I guess. Yeah. Um, but Jeeps in particular have got some really bad press back in the 2000s. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was the first thing I thought of when I saw the story. Um, but there were two auto magazines that tested the Jeep Liberty back in, I think, 2002. One um, accidentally flipped it. <laughs> During the test, um, a magazine. <laughs> so I don't even know if that was like one, like one of us. Like, <laughs> um, flipped it during a 40 mile per hour zigzag test. The other auto magazine suggested that the vehicle had uncertain handling and should be recalled. Oh. Yeah, which is pretty bold coming from a wow. trade magazine. But anyway, Jeep later redesigned that model to make it shorter. Mm. Um, you know, Jeeps tend to be light, tall, narrow. Um, which are all contributing factors. And they do have a reputation of more easily tipping and flipping than even other SUVs. Um, 
this hasn't seemed to impact the popularity of many of Jeep's models. It's not uncommon to see, you know, two, three Jeep models in like the top 10 uh, best-selling vehicles in the U.S. in the last few years. You know, they typically make those lists. So I I don't know. I I know people want to emphasize the role of the driver in these accident scenarios, and I agree, but I think let's also remember that there are issues of experience, weather, terrain, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of other factors. Um, I don't know. You have to... As an automaker, you do have some responsibility to to try to fix these problems when you see them occurring in these tests, right? So, I don't know. Will Jeep say that these aren't real-world tests again? Because that's mm-hmm. what they claimed in 2002. Yeah, yeah. They were just like, this isn't the real world. So, you know, um, you know, and maybe they will say oh, – they said that about the auto magazine tests at that time too, that they were not real-world driving. Mm-hmm. But I think that they need to take some responsibility and figure this out. Well, didn't and didn't they say that they couldn't recreate the same scenario when they tried running their own tests? I guess, but um, I don't feel comfortable with that. No, excuse. no, I don't. I don't think that's yeah. an excuse. Really, what it did for me was it kind of made you give a new respect to product developers mm-hmm. because they can plan for everything, try to engineer out every possible safety critical issue, and still miss something. Right. But in every case, it seems like Jeep has gone back, made design changes, and made it right. Well, they didn't make it right. or not. Well, They're trying to. Trying to make it right. So we'll yeah. go there. Did you watch any of the video of this test? No. Like on a regular vehicle versus a Jeep? No. It would make, I mean, it's scary. Like you don't want to put your kids in that. Like it, I mean, it would make you realize if you're going to have one of these vehicles, encountering this type of crash, which is extremely rare and odd, like it's it's a risk. When you're driving that these tests were basically designed more for airbags and roll cage like mm-hmm. testing as opposed to the bumper or the structural stability mm-hmm. or suspension or anything like that of the vehicle. So it's interesting because when you see it basically, you know, being hit on that right or left quarter, it doesn't matter what side, every other vehicle. I mean, it's a lot of damage because you're going 40 miles an hour. It's a, you have to go to YouTube, actually, if you're trying to pull that. Oh, up. gotcha. But I mean, it levels that side of the vehicle, but the car stays on four tires. Mm hmm. Man, those Jeeps, as soon as they hit that barrier, it just it flips immediately. It is actually kind of frightening. So you're kind of caught between this dynamic of that's the way these vehicles are built. That's the way they're designed. They do have that higher center of gravity. They're not going to be as stable when they encounter this type of crash. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything you can do to really outdesign that because this is basic physics. I mean, it's what it is. So I don't think Jeep is kind of turning a blind eye to it. Like you said. Wranglers continue to sell extremely mm-hmm. well. They're a really popular vehicle, but it's probably good to know in that in this type of environment or in this type of setting, or if you ever encounter this type of crash, you are at greater risk in a Jeep. So do, pe- do you think people know? I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, because it's not... Um, it's not a mandated test, right? It's something mm-hmm. that they do so they can put out these ratings and make the consumer more informed. Um, I don't know how widely recognized it would be or even how much people would seek it out to, to know it or understand it. Mm-hmm. Because when you think of a Jeep, this isn't the type of driving you're thinking about. You're thinking about being able to go over stuff and get off road and enjoy sure. that type of that type of dynamic, in which case you need the vehicle built the way it's built right. yeah, to do those things. So but, to me, it does feel like a trade-off. I don't know if Jeep, mm-hmm. maybe Jeep does need to do more to educate their drivers, but at the same time, there's also a personal responsibility you have when you buy a vehicle and, and know about it. No, I understand that. And actually watching the video of the test. So other cars, when they hit, when they do this test, they don't tip over? No. Because it just, man. No, it's it just is. Jeeps. Yeah. Um, I can actually, I mean, we've got one right here if you want to uh, 
Well, I don't yeah. have that one right up, but you know, if you no, see a, another vehicle that does the same test, it does not flip. It just like it just runs it's in. violent. Okay, yeah. it is a horrible impact, but it's the airbags and it's everything else. And you see the cage stay together, and the vehicle basically mm-hmm. just kind of shutters off to the side. No, you're right. Like, uh, and it's not. I mean, it is 40 miles per hour. Which I mean, the first time I ever got into an accident, it was at 25 miles per hour, and it like really opened my eyes as to how much damage you could yeah. do at 25 miles per hour. Um, and it is, it, you're right. Watching this test footage is kind of crazy how you think it's just going to kind of like run and maybe scoot over, but it just completely flips over. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I mean, they haven't uh, fixed the issue yet, but historically it has seemed like when an issue like this has come up, Jeep has made a change. Uh, so uh, Stellantis also said that, you know, we consider third-party testing and factor it into our product development process, but we engineer our vehicles for real world performance. Oh man. So maybe they're not doing anything. <laughs> Maybe they're not doing anything. That's a bummer. I mean, maybe we'll it is just we'll education and putting the word out. Yeah. I mean. um, well, frequent commenter Seth says, Jeepers going to Jeep. And I mean, honestly, that's true. You're not going to, anyone like uh, uh, Des when we're driving, Des knows truck, van, car, Jeep. Like uh, they're out there everywhere. And uh, they are a passionate bunch, a passionate bunch. Interesting side note. I was doing some research on this story. Did you know they tried to put water into bumpers as like a safety feature. Oh. They say they experimented with basically, it was going to be like a, basically if you're in an accident, the bumper's just shot anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they put water in there thinking that if you hit, it would have, it would basically take well, a like lot of that impact, impact and absorb the energy Exterior and stuff like that. Airbag? Yeah. But water then bag? it just got so expensive whenever these vehicles oh. were in any type of accident because the bumper would essentially. Because it was a water balloon. Boom, <laughs> yeah. Just kind of so explode. So I mean, interesting approach or thought process, I guess, for for bumper design. They can't all be winners. It's like, I mean, I hope it was the person who, you know, invented waterbed technology. He's like, (laughs) what if? Yeah. You know, I can jump into this bed from anywhere. I mean, the the water barrels on the highway work, right? Yeah. So why not just put it on the bumper? Or what if we stuffed them full of like confetti and then like getting into a (laughs) fender bender? You're just like, all right, guys. It's kind of a party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is actually kind of fun. Yeah. But then you're covered in that nonsense. (laughs) Just you're sweaty, you're angry, and it keeps sticking to you. And you're like, I can't get it off. It's like being at the like uh, walking out of a concert. As long as it's not glitter, and you just oh. sorry, <laughs> it's yeah. a glitter bomb covered in bumper confetti. Mm-hmm. It turns out the new bumper gremlin, confetti. the new gremlin EV is going to have bumper confetti. Oh my goodness! All right, well, our most popular story this week has to do with Walmart coconuts and monkeys. Here we go. Walmart pulls coconut milk amid forced monkey labor allegations. Walmart is the latest major retailer to drop Choco. Coconut milk brands, though, the Choco coconut milk brand after allegations of forced monkey labor. Other retailers, including Target, Costco, and Kroger, already dropped the brand following powerful PETA pressure. In 2029 or in 2019, PETA investigators in Thailand found out that the coconut supplier was using chained up monkeys to pick the fruit. The next year, a follow-up investigation found that many farms were still using monkey labor as well as operating monkey schools and running coconut picking competitions with the animals. The brand said it contracted a company to conduct a monkey-free coconut due diligence assessment in 2020. The company said the assessment, which involved site tours and personal interviews, turned up no evidence of monkeys being used for coconut harvesting. And Jeff, they've got no reason to lie. They don't. Or they do. Here's my thing. This company has gone and spent a lot of money and done a lot of stuff to try to dispel 
this situation. Okay. Mm -hmm. They have produced the audit reports. They've been on this since last year, basically Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, we're clean. We are not doing this. We're not sourcing from farms that use monkey slaves. Okay. Mm -hmm. Basically. And I think they deserve a little bit of credit for that. Now I'm not going to lose any sleep. If Walmart wants to choose a different supplier for whatever reason, that's fine. But if this company is doing all of the due diligence and producing reports and using third-party auditors to basically say, we're not doing this, mm-hmm. and the sole reason that they're losing customers is because PETA is basically bullying a, a store into b- doing this, I think that sets a dangerous precedent. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried so much about this Thailand-based company, but PETA has a history of doing this, okay? Mm-hmm. I can appreciate the passion, and I can appreciate where they started and what, they, what their overall overarching goals are. I'm not for... Not trying to advocate inhumane treatment of animals, okay? Right. But when you see a company like this or anywhere saying, you know what, this was wrong. We fixed it. We're also working with a number of these farms to make sure they're not doing this. They said they have made touch with over half of the farms in Thailand and can verify that they are no longer doing this practice. And they're going to continue to push these efforts to reform their industry I think PETA can call off the dogs a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they don't. PETA's already on to the next one. Like, and uh, that's that's my that's my issue yeah, here. My no. issue is not look Walmart. Maybe it was the right move for them to do. I'm not worried about that. What I don't like it is when you've got somebody who's relying on information that is more than two years old, which is what PETA is using, mm-hmm. and there's been changes in the situation since, and they're still trying to use this pressure and this clout to basically force um, a retailer to make a decision that. May or may not be in their best interest. I have no idea. But potentially, it's going to hurt this company. Mm-hmm. Now, if this was a U.S. company, I would probably feel a little more strongly about it. Mm-hmm. But, again, I, it concerns me that an organization like this can basically grab a bunch of headlines without having all the facts and bully somebody into do, making a decision. No, they're on to uh, – the next one is 99 Ranch Market. So, yeah. it, uh, PETA, basically, all those other retailers that we mentioned before, uh, you know, PETA got them to drop it. Um, I mean, that was one of the things that I noticed is when the story came out, I was like, mm-hmm. Costco did this like two, two years ago. I know. So it seemed like I thought part of the story was going to be what took Walmart so long. Um, and really maybe it just, maybe Walmart, uh, saw that the company was trying to do things right and just eventually succumbed to the pressure. I don't know. What do you think, Anna? Monkey slaves? I mean, I do think that PETA has a history of bullying. I agree with you there. Um, people take a really hard line on PETA. Um, either you hate PETA or you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't. There's no middle ground. Polarizing, they are yeah. polarizing. But I don't think that they have a history of like making things up. And I and I I think like it's hard to take this company's word for it to say that we've hired these third party auditors. We're doing all these things to fix this problem. I haven't really seen any evidence of that, like looking through some of the stories that have been published. Um, you know, you hear about this all the time where people people are being exploited in the supply chain and these companies overseas just, uh, you know, they say that they're doing this X, Y, and Z. Even American manufacturers say like they have sure. a handle on their supply chains and they really don't. Mm-hmm. So I can understand, I think, why PETA is like still pushing this really hard, even though this company is saying like we're trying to solve the problem. It's like, what credibility necessarily do they have to say that, that, that we believe them over somebody else? I don't know. It's just it's kind of a he said, she said. Right. But um, we do know that they were doing this before. And mm-hmm. what to me, it's like less about the 
monkeys, I can't believe we're talking about this, monkeys contributing to the labor force, but like rather how it was being done because it was characterized as like these monkeys were being abducted from their families and chained up all day. And like, that's really awful and horrible. It was very sensationalized Mm -hmm. and it definitely looked like a PETA PETA video where they had five clips of probably Mm -hmm. the worst treatment towards monkeys that were used in a one and a half minute video. Um, but I mean, do you look at that and say like, oh, it's probably better than that? No, no, I don't. Okay. And that's why it's like something has to be done. Right. Um, because so uh, my take on this is that, first of all, enslaved monkeys, like uh, I don't if they were treated better, I don't have a real problem with this practice of using monkey labor to harvest coconuts. Uh <clears throat> some horrible thing that now some they're accused of some horrible things like pulling teeth out of these monkeys that if they were to get violent, but it reminds me of any animal touching industrial operation. Uh, there are bad actors and this seems like they found a solution to a problem uh, in the supply chain. And then there are bad actors that did a horrible job doing it. And as a result, like, uh, you know, now anyone thinks of a coconut, they think that an enslaved monkey whose teeth have been ripped out have, you know, have milked that coconut. I know. But like it just it's frustrating to me when we set up these like false dichotomies about this stuff like, oh, if somebody on our website. Well, is it better than if now children are going to pick the coconuts? No, yeah, none of that. Point. Like, that's not what this is. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. maybe this is an industry that we can't get that can of coconut milk for two dollars and 50 cents maybe that's not a sustainable practice you know mm-hmm. what i mean and some of the stuff i think needs the light needs to be shined on some of these practices and we need to change some of our buying behavior and our expectations on what we can get for our dollar mm-hmm. when this is behind it you know but we've also used you know animals as a tool in the past and if they can be used you know in a humane manner humane mm-hmm. uh it's good well it's improved processing in a couple of different areas. The things that PETA has done is actually improved food safety in a lot of instances in the way animals are cared for before they are processed. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a benefit that's something PETA has has done. They've also actually improved product development in a lot of cases with the impact that they've had on product testing for Mm -hmm. different things and using animals that way. So there is some benefit. I just get really frustrated when they get so passionate that they're almost blinded by what's going on. Yeah. They kind of get, uh, they, they do, they get tunnel vision and, uh, it is because, uh, that was the only thing is that I can't, I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, siding with these monsters who are out there ripping out teeth and like, uh, not allowing monkeys to socialize, but you're anti-monkey. That's I mean, just no, a but weird you, position to take. I mean, really, if I'm a monkey and I get to go to monkey school to learn how to race in a coconut picking competition, Pretty eh, sweet. that's not so bad. That's Sounds bad. probably better than a lot of zoos, to I, be honest. I, I think no matter where anyone is on this, like at this point in this campaign, Walmart is crazy to not drop this brand. There's too much brand damage associated with it. Well, whether that makes you mad that this company goes down for it, I I understand. Mm -hmm. But like at this point, I mean, people love monkeys except for David. Um, And then. Yeah, I actually. I'm lukewarm. Love monkeys. I just think like, okay, so Walmart's trying to compete with like Target's like Sunny brand. Let's have a barbecue. Like they can't afford to like. I, I don't, yeah, but I don't understand what took him so long. Dying and I also don't yeah. understand why this Chowco hasn't rebranded already. 
Like, I mean, yeah. your brand is toxic mm-hmm. as of three well, years ago. Here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, true. here in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is, let's, and again, we just talked about accountability in the supply chain. They don't actually, they're sourcing from these farms. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're not enslaving the monkeys themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they do have a responsibility to make sure they're diligent in their sourcing. One thing that's interesting too, I mean, this is in Thailand. That's like the ninth leading producer of coconuts. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of places you can source this stuff from too. Mm-hmm. So but where are they in terms of like monkey populations? Seventh. Okay. Made that up. Okay. Did that sound good? Very convincing. <laughs> Very convincing. I'm like, ah, I didn't think you'd have that follow yeah, up. Just like, it's weird that you know that. He's got the list yeah. popped up. Like, uh, actually Wisconsin has the most monkeys. <laughs> um, all right. And I am not anti-monkey. I'm, you know, you could look into the many totes in my basement that prove that I have for a long time been pro monkey, particularly when it comes to a stuffed version of the animal. I'll, um, yeah, we'll just have to roll the footage and kind of. I think, I don't think we're done with this. Review That's what, fine. what was said. I will bring in. On rec- yes, it I do keep like, the monkeys yeah, in my basement. David, da- okay. Yeah, hmm. no, which, where they're safe. In their totes. Do they have with do my they totes? It, with oh, my memories. Yeah. Monkeys and totes? I mean, Gross. I've got a dryer sheet in there so that way they don't get, you know, David. moths. <laughs> oh, monkey love. All right. Well, before we move on to, in case you missed it, we have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back with In Case You Missed It. The stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still uh, stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Uh, Before we get into that, Anna, is the enslaved monkey worse because it's a monkey and that's so close to a human? Mm, Would it be different if it was like enslaved possums? I'm super glad you brought this up. Mm. Maybe for a final thought. Maybe for a final thought. Uh, Anna, what's your In Case You Missed It this week? Uh, my In Case You Missed It is a story that we ran earlier in the week uh, titled Pink Slips Hit All-Time Low. Mm. And I think that does not need an explanation. <laughs> Pink Slips Hit All-Time Low. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor recently released data that underscores the challenges facing businesses when it comes to retention. And uh, shortages have become so severe that employers appear to be actively avoiding terminating existing employees. So the report says that this number um, of workers being fired or laid off has hit the lowest point on record. But keep in mind, record started like 25 years ago. It's not like going back to like in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyway, I selected the story to discuss because, you know, we've talked a lot about the leverage pendulum and how workers suddenly have a lot more negotiating power. But what was interesting about this recent study is just how much mm-hmm. and the other implications. Um, like one thing I thought of is like, are people who would normally be fired for cause not being fired? 100%. That's actually the 100%. first thing I thought yeah. of. Yeah. Cause I mean, we talked to, you know, we talk a ton about safety concerns on this podcast. Um, and you think about like, why are people getting fired? Usually maybe making mistakes, being incompetent concerns of culture, 
toxic people in the workplace. Who knows? Um, but those are the kind of things that might force somebody out. Now, the report doesn't really go into detail. It's just looking at this raw data coming out of the Department of Labor. But it does raise some interesting questions as to who these people are and um, why they're not being canned now when when they were previously. But on the flip side, I feel like there's a little bit of an opportunity silver lining here. If you look at um, maybe people are being given more time to prove themselves uh, that would not have gotten that opportunity before. Um, we know that there's still some discrimination happening in the workforce. There's definitely like this workforce that kind of exists in the shadows, ready to be tapped into. Um, that's not being actively recruited to now. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed one industrial company like a couple weeks ago, and they talked about how they have found so much talent by enabling a path for marginalized workers um, like those with a criminal history. Mm. And given those folks a chance to prove themselves and they found a lot of success with that, they're like, we don't ask a lot of questions because it's not relevant to us. Mm-hmm. And what we do, we bring them in, we put them to work and we see what they can do. So I wonder if we see more businesses maybe getting out of their comfort zones and using the current market as an opportunity to explore those avenues when they haven't in the past. So, um, yeah, it's sort of a, a nuanced story when you think about like, mm, there's some good to it here, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But there's also some kind of scary questions to, to be raised about like, are people that are kind of sticking around ones that we don't want sticking around, you know? Well, I mean, to your point, it's really encouraging uh, that whatever that industrial company is that, you know, companies like them are taking a chance mm-hmm. on an otherwise, like you said, marginalized workforce. Um, anecdotally, I can say that 100% people that are normally fired are not getting fired. Mm-hmm. And they know that they are empowered to do that because some of the stories that I hear coming out of factories where people are just like, you want to make me do that? I'll quit. Mm-hmm. And they know they won't get fired. And it, and they know that they can threaten to do it and get out of work. It's just like, oh, you want to make that change? Change it back. Otherwise, I'll quit. And uh, so there is kind of a bad part of it, like, uh, you know, where workers could feel more empowered to, you know, uh, kind of rise up the ranks a little bit more if Mm -hmm. they kind of uh, worked harder. I think there are there is an element of people that would have normally been fired, know that they need them regardless. Yeah. And so as a result, they're taking advantage of that power. And it's probably hurting a lot of companies. Um, Same thing with uh, and I've know that I've mentioned it before in the podcast about companies that are hiring people that are that were rehiring people that were terminated not just once but twice or three times Yikes. and i mean if you're already rehiring people that you fired before mm-hmm. maybe now you're just like all right i'm not even going to go through the paperwork of firing you well i think one of the i'm going to go back to a positive element of it sorry <laughs> um, i think i think one of the positives of these fewer pink slip stories that i thought about too is i think there's more pressure on the mid to upper level management oh yeah to really develop people and mm-hmm. really because if something's not going right in your department, you can say, well, we need new people. These folks aren't doing their job. Well, hey, man, you hired them. Mm-hmm. OK. And you know how hard it was to hire people before. This is your team. You got to work with them. And mm-hmm. I think it puts more pressure on those folks to develop those teams, get away from sitting behind the desk and really get your hands dirty and, and work with them. So I think that's a potential positive that can make a lot of companies stronger by making some of those managers who are pretty comfortable before mm-hmm. in sort of being able to pass the buck. Now they have to make things happen. Yeah, true. Could also empower those employees to be worse, knowing that the pressures on the middle manager get him fired, then take his job. Be worse. I well, like that. At That's some the point, theme. I, think, I think the story was there are not zero pink slips. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. just that there's fewer. still some pink slips. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Mine, in case you missed it, was an article written by uh, Nolan Beilstein um, about how shopping malls are being converted into micro distribution hubs. 
So it's about this company, PhilLogic, and they provide localized logistics and logistics as a service, mostly for retail. The company takes underutilized spaces, primarily shopping malls, and converts them into tech-enabled micro-distribution hubs. Now, the company employs about 100 people, but it grew (laughs) 9,000% last year, which either means that the previous year was a bit, you know, new. They were new, and then they exploded. But either way, last year was a banger. PhilLogic helps mall owners, retailers, and transportation providers through an aggregated B2B logistics and technology platform. It uses existing infrastructure to operate and provide logistics and technology solutions to increase efficiency and make last mile delivery more cost effective. Their CEO, Bob Thayer, says that a lack of capacity is the biggest issue in supply chain struggles. The the pandemic started unprecedented demand, and now we don't have enough people, boats, planes, trucks, and buildings to handle it. Adding capacity for a much lower cost and much more efficiently seems to be working for PhilLogic and their partners. Now, PhilLogic could use alternative types of industrial real estate, but it really doesn't want to compete with traditional industrial real estate because it's expensive. What's not expensive right now? Spots and malls. You can get it for nothing. Um, Now, they're helping stores get organized and help them with e-commerce fulfillment by turning unused space into essentially mini Amazon fulfillment centers. And I just thought this was a really cool idea. I've seen, and I'm also just naturally intrigued with what is going to happen to shopping malls in America. Mm -hmm. We've seen some companies turning them into condos and uh, we've seen other companies. uh, One just turned like an old JCPenney into a pickleball court. Mm -hmm. Uh, So people are getting creative. And this was a solution that seemed to solve a lot of problems. I think we've seen this on a micro level and mm-hmm. these, this outfit has really taken it much bigger and yeah. really blown it up, obviously assisted by the, the growth in e-commerce that was brought on by the pandemic, but really a smart idea. I mean, mm-hmm. we see it here on like in the West side, a couple of those anchors for that mall in the West town mall, they're done yeah. and they're definitely going to be repurposed. You doing something like this where there's not a ton of infrastructure investment that's needed to, yeah. um, in terms of keeping costs down good paying jobs for folks that are looking for it. Yeah. Smart idea and well executed, obviously with the growth that they're seeing. Yeah. Instead of turning it into a trampoline park, they just need <laughs> shelves, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of lower cost uh, entry. Yeah. So, or another, uh, craft brewery, uh, movie, um, uh, movie place. Easy. What? Oh, Jeff's mad. Oh, okay. Never that. mind. Never mind. Hey, we all got plans tonight. We all got plans tonight. It's all right, Jeff. It's all right. I'm I sure it's going to be a good one. I don't have plans. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Do you want to go to craft brewery move house movie house? Okay. okay. <laughs> See, uh, Anna, what were your th- uh, what were your thoughts on these uh, micro fulfillment centers? Yeah, I liked it as as much as I love a good like BuzzFeed slideshow of abandoned shopping mall yes. photos. <laughs> yes, those are awesome. <laughs> I know they are awesome, but yeah. um, but like. You know, we have a problem in America of like tearing things down that we don't need anymore and then putting up uh, almost identical buildings on top of them. So, yeah, if we can utilize uh, buildings that already exist and um, use them to their capacity, I think that's such a great idea. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you said, like people are getting creative. We need more of that. That's perfect. Like with a BuzzFeed headline, like American wasteland right before our eyes. See, see nature reclaim an old Boston store. It's like so there's a weed in it. 
So, right. I, know, I was looking at a weird thing on Atlas Obscura today about old amusement parks like around the world that yes. just become overgrown. That is it f- is creepy. so creepy. I creepy love cool. that article. Between cool. uh, amusement parks and then old Olympic stadiums. Yeah. yeah oh, those my are good too. goodness. What a waste of resources. <laughs> Sad world. But it gave us 10 minutes yeah. of entertainment. So, oh, totally worth it. Maybe even 15 yeah. if it had a lot of photos in the gallery. Uh, Jeff, what is your, in case you missed it this week? Uh, mine, I picked a story talking about senators are urging CNH Industrial to offer striking workers more. So we covered this about a month ago. I think it was actually on the podcast. We talked about Case New Holland. They've got plants in primarily Wisconsin and Iowa. They've got a bunch of folks that are striking basically for the same reasons John Deere workers are striking. Mm-hmm. They want to get paid more. CNH is coming off a huge year. Um, brought about in the article again, it was brought up about how well compensated their CEO is. Mm-hmm. And basically, one of the things that this brought up was a group of senators, our very own Tammy Baldwin being one of them, Bernie Sanders another, and a group of others are basically getting involved now because one of the the big issues is healthcare costs. Mm. They're looking at trying to give these folks a less than 2% pay increase while healthcare costs have gone up. The deductible has gone up significantly. Mm-hmm. So basically more out of pocket expense. It's not being compensated for in the raise that they're looking for. Um, and I thought this was interesting for a couple reasons. Number one, it's right after John Deere. Okay, mm-hmm. we saw the folks at John Deere get their get their pay increase, and now we just saw some jobs going down to Mexico. Mm. Also, interesting that we've got some senators, some actually very high, you know, big name senators yeah. getting involved in this flight and actually going to these facilities, trying to help these folks out. This also comes in, and again, I mentioned it before, all those reshoring numbers. So we've got this interesting dynamic. We've got all these jobs coming in. We've got current employees who are saying now is the time for us to try to get a better pay package Mm -hmm. because it is hard to hire people. There is a job market shortage, but is that starting to turn a little bit? Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, number one, is the influence of these customers or excuse me, these senators, because a couple of them are rather polarizing. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of middle of the road feelings about Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that help the cause or not? And secondly, do these workers, are we starting to see some of these these situations where workers are striking? Do they still have the same clout that we thought they did maybe even six months ago? Yeah, I think, no, I definitely think uh, uh, things are shifting yeah. um, and it's a constantly evolving uh, market. I do think there is still leverage, but maybe since we're a little bit further out of the um, pandemic, uh, companies feel a little bit more emboldened to push back a little bit. I think so, too. And especially, again, I, Mexico is just getting hot again in terms of people because it's that near shoring approach. Summer. Logistically, you can get <laughs> Sorry. not so much for vacation. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, I couldn't help myself. Uh, for near shoring because it is logistically close and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that is becoming more popular. And this is, um, you know, CNH is actually owned uh, in the UK. It's a British company. It's actually where it's headquartered. So that'll be interesting to see how all these different variables play out. And I'm just, I'm really, whenever I see politicians get involved this heavily in a labor movement or mm-hmm. a strike like this, I just wonder if sometimes it doesn't make people dig in more the opposite way as opposed oh, yeah. to being influenced. And again, I think that becomes more of a personal thing, unfortunately, as opposed to a business practice or what's best for the company or the employees. But uh, just interesting to see them getting involved at this level and with all those other dynamics sort of coming into play. It becomes one more hurdle for both the workers and the company. And you're right. Like, uh, are you helping or uh, are you just I mean, either way, I mean, one thing uh, is that people don't really know about the CNH uh, work stoppage. Everyone knew about the deer stoppage. So mm-hmm. they really yeah. didn't need to shine a spotlight on that one because the whole world knew. Yeah. So maybe some of these senators getting involved, if anything, lets people know that, 
you know, hey, there's another there's another problem here. Yeah. And uh, the workers are looking for something similar. Uh, Anna, your thoughts on uh, the senators getting involved? Yeah, I mean, um, it it's I, I do agree that there is like a, a shift happening in terms of people's uh, sentiment on the economy and people getting a little nervous about what happens next. However, like with a strike, I feel like you're in a s- sort of pants on fire situation. Like every day that goes is like yeah. more. I mean, they're sweating this out. And, you know, there's there there's no impact qu- quite yet of this potential recession or downturn that we're facing. I, probably CNH has a significant backlog still, I'm thinking. I mean, right, if they're yeah. like deer. Yep. So um, I don't know that the pressure of that um, future scenario is going to be enough to cause them to really push back too much on these workers. I think it will fall in the workers' favor. That's my guess. All right. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts before we get out of here. And uh, luckily, my wife is watching the podcast live, and she can confirm the basement monkeys. These are stuffed monkeys, right? Yes, but again, stuffed animal monkeys, not stuffed monkeys. (laughs) Anna, what's your final thought this week? Thank you. Uh, my final thought is this. Um, so I've managed to go my entire lifetime without ever tent camping. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Really? I know. Somehow I've skated by. <laughs> like not even in like high school? Never one time. Wow. Uh, and somehow I got roped into taking my family um, camping this weekend. My daughter's had like a little uh cold so we're gonna see if it works out but our plan is tomorrow to go uh to the state park to meet um some friends and tent camp with my family so man see how that goes i don't know what uh, for the record like three little kids sleeping on the ground my husband will be there also but um i don't know what happens i don't know if this is a good idea or not i know that camping Without children, I've not, uh, we have not attempted yeah. uh, camping with children either, um, but it's already pretty logistically tough when it's two adults. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I just, I already, uh, so when we're up at the cottage, um, all of us sleep in the same room, you know, and until very recently, uh, we all slept in the same bed mm-hmm. and that alone was just enough to be like, oh, okay, so we're not going to get great sleep. We're going to get up at 4.30 in the morning. And, I mean, that drive home is going to be touch and go sometimes. Yeah. I did enough camping in the Army. So if I never see the inside of a tent or improvised shelter or anything else, I'm good. <laughs> you so, guys. So when, you're te- when you're camping, please go to one of your friends and be like, nice improvised shelter. Yeah. <laughs> guys, that was the boost I needed going yeah. into this weekend. Yeah. Thank sure you for you the positive thoughts. Plenty of, like, because if it rains, yeah. that's the worst. Oh. Make sure you have enough ponchos and everything else to cover everything Jeff, that rains. I don't, I don't, ha- I don't have no, any ponchos. I don't, I don't, no, that's not true. I can't, I can't agree with Jeff there. If it rains, you just get everything in the car. You just leave, right? Yeah, yeah. just okay. No, um, And that's for sure what idea. we would do. Right, yeah, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, standard weekend stuff with the kids were like, you know, just run them all day, keep them in the sun. So hopefully they just, you know, hit that bed, you know, like, so, and crash. So they invited us on this camping trip, and then my husband literally that day buys a nine-person tent on Amazon. Whoa. And then, um, That's a big swing. I know. And then like uh, like a couple days ago, he's like, are we really doing this? And I'm like, yes, you bought a nine-person tent. We're doing <laughs> do this. Do you all have it's sleeping like, bags too? Yeah. So I don't know. What else do you need? 
patience. A lot of patience and tarps. Thank you, Alex. A lot of tarps. Thank you. Okay. Guys, I'm really nervous about this. Also, bug spray. You could have asked anybody, I mean, about tents. You know, we have like three tents you could have borrowed. Yeah. Just every everyone in Wisconsin has that tent that they use like twice a decade. I think he wanted to buy the tent and it was an excuse to buy it um, because he likes to camp. And I've always been a little resistant. Yeah. So this is probably his way, mm-hmm. his entree into like this is our life now. I don't know. He likes to tent. Uh, we've been you've been married like what, a decade? Yep. And still no nine years. No yeah, almost. Yeah. OK. Um, well, you know what? Just Why is that weird? Oh, because uh, she says that he loves to camp, but she's never gone. Yeah. But they've been together 10 nice. years. So. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, you can figure out a an excuse for that a thousand times. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, s'mores and those little like pudgy pie makers. Yeah. And then you're that's oh, true. or in a walking taco. One, the first time I had a walking taco as a kid blew my mind. Blew my mind. I was just like, <laughs> I just eat this bag. <laughs> Right out of the bag. Right out. Of the, I'm, it's it was great. The pudgy pie things don't uh, don't sleep on those, man. You can make some awesome grilled cheese in those. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. See, yeah. you guys want to go now? I feel like. No. Well, we I, have room never. for four more people in our tent. I'm good. I love camping. I don't <laughs> like the logistics that's you guys. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's invited. Well, good luck. Thanks. Um. All right. So my final thought this week <gasps> is uh. So Wednesday, um, our softball game got rained out. But it wound up being a beautiful afternoon. It just so happens that the Parks Department is real, real careful with their fields. So uh, to burn a little energy off, I went on a bike ride. And I went on a long bike ride. And um, right as I was about to get home, um, I, like, checked my phone and realized that I had, like, three missed messages from my wife. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, God, one of the kids are sick. One of the kids are sick. And she was, like, really scared. Um, She thought that she might have heard fireworks or maybe gunshots. And um, so I was just like, okay, you know, she kind of uh, uh, downplayed it a little bit. I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's probably fireworks because we got a lot of kids in the neighborhood. And then I was riding my bike back down on Acewood and uh, there are cops everywhere. And um, the co- I, I stop, I talk to the cops. I'm like, yo, uh, what happened? And these guys are three houses away from mine, three houses down the block. They're like, yeah, we had a report of um, a possible shooting, somebody from a car shot at a pedestrian. He ran up the road to the gas station, which was uh, littered with cops. But we haven't been able to find any shell casings, so we really don't know if it happened. I'm like, all right, well, thanks for all the work you do. Uh, Hope you figure it out. I ride my bike back to my house, found a shell casing. (gasps) Uh, And um, uh, so I just like stopped my bike. I'm like, hey, uh, got one right here. Got one right here. And uh, Started talking to them and they were just like joking. They're like, Haha, you want a job as a police officer? I'm like, no, I'm already scared. I'm going to go home. All right. Um, so I go home, talk to my wife, who's visibly shaken because she downplayed it a little bit. She was outside gardening, um, heard the two pops, looked out. She was right by the road, looked at the road, saw the car, um, which sped away and saw the person run. And uh, we've both never been so scared. And uh, like I said, it was right outside my house. It was actually a former coworker. It was directly outside his house. And um, I just think that uh, we, I say be better a lot on this podcast. And I just think that everyone from 
every walk of life just needs to do a better job at being a better person because our entire neighborhood is terrified right now. Oh my God. I feel like I shouldn't be able to, or like I can't talk about it because it's gun related and everything gun related right now is completely politicized and polarized. But there's a simple fact that uh, this situation happened. It was incredibly scary. There's no good answer except people trying harder to be better people. Wow. And uh, that's my final thought this week. Jeff? Okay. <laughs> um, that's terrifying. That's It, yeah, is, it is terrifying. Like, you should never have to check your kids and then make sure that there's not a hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, I was, uh, didn't mean to spring that on you guys, but it was just, uh, you know, that's crazy. It's kind of stuck with us. Oh, and, um, you know, we were talking about remodeling. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Um, and we started calling our house, our forever home. And then it was just like, okay, let's start talking about where we're going to move. Wow. uh, Yeah. Cause I mean, it's something like that, that really shakes you to the core and just like, okay, it's one thing to try and stick it out. It's another to like put my family in danger. But um, anyway, uh, sorry to be a... That's a lot, no, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, especially with Carrie being outside. Yeah. Man. No, it's, uh, it is crazy. And so just, you know, be better people and be safer and be aware that there are other people around you in the event that you're going to make a terrible choice. Well, in comparison, my week was never nowhere near as eventful. Mm-hmm. All I would say is my final thought is I can confirm with what Anna was saying before that COVID-19 is still real. We had it kind of run through the house a little oh, bit. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. definitely disruptive this week. So, yeah, still need to be safe and better and still catching COVID. Yeah, well, and it's still real. But uh, everyone is feeling better. now. Yeah, right? everybody's good. I mean, I think um, the precautions we took before definitely paid off. Yeah, so that was good. Um. Transitioning to our trivia, I guess, to uh, to wrap stuff up here. Um, the, the question last week, we wanted to know uh, which automaker has seen the most, the highest level of engagement on our sites mm-hmm. in the last year. Far and away, it would have been Tesla. So yeah. Tesla oh. was not one of the options. We said, was it Ford, GM, Toyota, Stellantis, or Nissan? The answer is Ford. Um, Ford definitely did get the most. I think a lot of the uh, the Mustang, the um, the F one fifty, the electric F one fifty coming out oh, definitely sure, yeah. propelled them. And congratulations to Joe. He got it right. He's getting uh, today manufacturing hat. Wait, go for his request. Also wanted to um, give a shout out here to to uh, to Nick. The last two weeks. Nick has responded for the first time to the trivia questions, and he got the second most popular. Oh, man, so close. (laughs) So I said, you know, Nick, great try. Let me let us send you something. And his response is something that I think we should all feel good about. He says, I appreciate the offer for a shirt, but until I win it fairly, it just (laughs) won't feel right. He's got to earn it. Don't worry. I am not giving up yet. (laughs) Nick. I hope you get that. We are all rooting for you. We are. Yeah. Your virtue and dedication to this podcast and the trivia responses is greatly appreciated. And what we can all appreciate most is the final comment in his email was, I just hope my wife doesn't get it right this week or I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> Nick, uh, we are with you, oh, my brother, man. and we hope you can get this week's answer correct. 100%. Don't worry, Nick. I haven't got, I have not gotten one right either. This so, one was a coin toss. Before, so sticking with this th- trend we've had the last couple of weeks. Let's talk about some of the companies we cover. Cause I know when we see certain stories for certain companies, mm-hmm. we're like, 
this is going to work. This is going to, this is going to get a lot of page views. This is going to work. People are going to like hearing about this. So these are the companies that I picked out. I want to know which one of these over the last year had the highest level of engagement on our sites. Okay. Mm -hmm. John Deere, SpaceX, Boeing, Amazon, or Harley Davidson. These are all companies that definitely get a lot of eyeballs. Again, your options. Which one was first? John Deere, SpaceX, Boeing, Amazon, or Harley Davidson? Let well, me know. And at one. least four, it's a tough one. four out of those five are in the news almost daily. The difference between the top three is tight. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's uh, I. Uh, but the one outlier that I was thinking of maybe doesn't have news every day, but when we do have news about that company, it is incredibly popular. Yeah. So, so all right. So this, this is a tough one. Hope Nick can pull Come it off. Come on, Nick. And hopefully his, his wife doesn't give him too much crap when she gets it right. Man. Or we can send her a t-shirt too. I don't know. Not getting trivia right and crap from the wife. Nick. Nick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, before we get out of here, Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Finally, you can subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get the inbox. To, uh, nope. Make sure you get the podcast delivered to your inbox first. Also, Lindsay Parsons, thanks for sending the uh, awesome use of a wind tunnel. I really appreciate it. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.